Thank you, worship team. Good morning, Grace Chapel. So good to see you today. We've just spent some time over the last uh, few months going through the, the very, very brief letter of Jude. Do you remember it? Has it changed you? And as always, uh, by God's providence, I don't know about you, but I felt that it was perfectly suited for addressing the times that we're going through right now. I mean, just nailed it. And isn't that what God's Word always does? It doesn't seem to matter what book of the Bible we go to, it addresses what's going on right now. It's relevant. And although it was extremely brief, Jude's choice of illustrations that he used um, to expose the false gospels that are, were in the churches that he was, he was a part of and the false gospels that are in our churches today, it took us on a tour of all human history. It was amazing, just a short little few lines. We went through all human history. We went through angelic history, and we went through God's predetermined redemptive history just in a short, brief uh, letter. Uh, and I pray, uh, my prayer is that Jude stays with us, that we just don't move on. I mean, that was great. Good, 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 good information, Pete. Let's move on. That is wisdom, this wisdom how to live life lasts and has a lasting effect on us that we become better rescuers of people for God and we become better discerners of what is true and what is error. It had that kind of an effect on the Apostle Peter. Did you know that? Did you know that many commentators believe that Jude wrote first, it was read by Peter, and it formed the basis of and directly influenced his letter of Second Peter. And guess where we're going next? Very good. Good class. Yeah. 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 We, are, we are going into 2 Peter for our next message series. And some might say that, that 2 Peter is Jude redone on steroids. Okay? So get ready because Peter's going to blast us. And it's really, really good. And you're going to pick up some of some Judaisms through it. Jude's way of saying things as we go through 2 Peter. But what I want you to do right now, and we just sat down from singing, I want you to stand in time. Would you stand with and we're going to read together in unison verses just four of Second Peter, and and why stand? Because standing reminds us that what you and I are about to do right now is we're not going to hear. We're going to hear from together are the words of God. So let's. Give Scripture an elevated reverence. And we do that when we stand. We, we shouldn't do this for any other person's advice or any other person's word of God. May grace and peace be lavished on you as you grow in the rich knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. I can pray this because His divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the One who called us by His own glory and excellence. Through these things, He has bestowed on us His precious and most magnificent promises so that by means of what was promised, you may become partakers of the divine nature after escaping the worldly corruption that is produced by evil desire. Let's pray together as we stand. Father, we, we bow before you. We, we are listening. We are repeating your words. We want them to infect our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. 
and to change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 1. Let's back up just one verse. Verse 1. Peter introduces himself. He says, from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. So Simon Peter, as most, I know a lot of you know, was an apostle, a direct, personally hand-picked, sent one, that's what disciple, I mean, apostle means, sent one of Jesus Christ, personally selected. But isn't it interesting that having been granted the highest authority God gives a man here on earth, Peter doesn't start off and say, hey, y'all, I'm an apostle. Listen up. This is, this is authoritative. He first inter- introduces himself with, I'm a slave. I'm a servant. Now, where have we heard that before? Anybody? Oh, it begins with a J. U, D. Yeah, yeah, Jude. Very good. Yeah, Jude. We just went through it. Don't you remember in the very first verse, Jude says, doesn't say, hey, y'all, I'm the actual younger brother of Jesus Christ. He doesn't start off that way. Jude began his letter with, I'm a servant of Jesus. And it would appear from reading from Jude and from Peter and, and in a lot of Paul's letters too, that the most important thing to know about a great man of God is that he's a servant of God. That would appear to be important, and that's all we really need to know about someone. And Peter says, I'm a designated sent one of Jesus Christ, and my job, my job is to serve him. And then he goes on to say in verse 1, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that would be many of you in this room today, you've been granted a faith just as precious as ours. Did you get that? Think about that for a second. Isn't that amazing? Here is one of the apostles, and the, and the next thing he wants to clearly communicate to you and I and to those Christians he's writing to is to make sure that we're confident, to make sure that we're confident in our faith, that we have a faith just as valuable as these authoritative apostles that everybody looks up to. And we all stand on equal ground before God. We can't forget that, especially in the days in which we live. Any one of us who has ever been born again. Have you been? Okay, a lot of you. Great. But any one of us who has been born again was born again through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where our faith comes from. You didn't think real hard and wish real hard and pray real hard and all of a sudden get it. Verse 2. Now may, if this is true, may grace and peace. Do you know grace and peace today? Does our world know grace and peace today? May grace and peace be lavished on you. What a, what a picturesque word. Full. As you grow in the rich knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. And that rich knowledge, this rich knowledge that Peter's talking about, is who God and Jesus really are. And then Peter says that we then, if we understand this even a little bit, we get to experience grace and peace in our lives. And it's lavished on us. And Peter says that you can be confident about who you really are. Verse 3. I can pray this. How can Peter say this about you and I? I can pray this about you because his, that's God's, divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness. 
through the rich knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and excellence. We have got everything by the power of God that we need. Through these things, this, this amazing power and might that God has given us, he has bestowed on us his precious and most magnificent promises so that by means of what was promised, you and I may be, become partakers of the divine nature. Now, I don't know if that's what you're feeling today, but it's true. After escaping the worldly corruption that is produced by evil desire. That's who we now are if you've been born again, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Some believers, they may, and they probably, all of us do, we go through difficult times um, for a variety of reasons. We go through trying times. And there are times where we may question the value of the faith we have. We may even be tempted to look at another person's faith maybe in the church family or in our own blood family, someone else's faith, someone who is going through life and, and everything seems to be okay, you know? They're, um, they're, they've got this confident, at-peace state of mind, and their responses to life situations are, are very calming, very calming. And the disheartened believer, it may be you, may think, well, good for them. Well, great. That's their relationship with God. Wonderful. His faithfulness, his goodness, this intimacy they seem to enjoy with God. Well, great for them, but that's not for me. And Scripture is clearly saying this morning, no, no, no. Time out. Wait a minute. This is Peter speaking the word of God to you and I. And what is God saying that we've all got? We have got the same precious faith. No more, no less. And it relies on God's, God for its source. Maybe we rely on ourselves and put ourselves in those kinds of positions with those kinds of attitudes. In James chapter 5, verse uh, 17, we read that Elijah, the greater prophet Elijah, was a man just like us. Just like us. In 1 Kings, it talks about this man, this great Elijah. He's a prophet. Elijah was the guy who called down fire from the sky. Uh, he was the man of God who prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Jim Z, wasn't he the same guy who's saying, Lord, I've seen fire and I've seen rain? No, that's right. Oh, that was James Taylor. That's right. Okay, good. <clears throat> Just wanted to bring you into the, yeah, yeah, gotcha. I know where your head's at. Elijah was a man just like us, just like you, just like me. All the faults. And don't you just love that verse? It's this constant, calming reminder that God has left us, and that's the power of God's Word. It tells it like it is. It, it keeps us in our servant role, where we need to be. But it also reminds us that God can flow his power through you and through me whenever he wants. It's his choice. It's his doing. It's his will. It's not something we conjure up. Um, it's not something that we, we squeeze our eyes really tight and we say the magic words over and over and over again, whatever they are, whatever we've been told, and then boom, it's going to happen. It's God. 
It's God regurgitating his words that we have uh, put into our hearts, and he regurgitates them through our mouths, and then he performs a rebirth on people that we encounter, that he has brought our way, and for whom we have taken the risk to rescue in his name. It's God who does all this. But do you really believe that about yourself? Is that who you see yourself as as when you look in the mirror? We've got to put aside our feelings. Sorry. That's how I I see it. We've got to put aside our feelings and trust the word of God. Because everything else we've been putting our trust in is falling apart in our world today. It always has. It has for thousands of years. And just as blatant and just as simple as that sounds, that's what we need to do. Trust the word of God. And you may say, well, Pete, you don't know what I've done with my life. You don't know what I haven't done (laughs) with my life. Uh, My thought life is so messed up. Uh, My attitude today stinks. Well, then, do you know what God's word says that we're supposed to trust in? It says to repent. Repent of going in that direction. And trust the word of God. Trust the word of God by obeying the word of God. Those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words all through the Gospels. And be refreshed after you do that by coming under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. God says to us, to us through Peter, you've got a faith. You've all got a faith of equal standing with the apostles themselves. It's been provided through the righteousness of me. That's what God's saying. I, God, did that for you. Don't belittle your faith, ever. And FYI, just on a side note, this does not make anybody today an apostle. I know there's a lot of men and women running around saying they're apostles. That's a special designation that God gave to a few men to provide the solid foundation upon which the church was built in the first century. It's just like many of us, we don't, we don't have the designation or the gifts to come up here on Sunday morning and lead worship. Aren't you all so glad that I didn't lead worship this morning? Can I get an amen? Amen. Yes, we're so thankful for Matt and everybody else that was up here. But we all have the same faith. Yes, we do. And that's why we're all gathered here today. That's why we're all meeting together, even maybe online, to know God more fully and to worship Him more intensely. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we would become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. We all have this. We all have this faith. Do you remember what happened on the cross? Yeah, we all remember. The Bible says here, Paul says it this way, God made the one who did not know sin. Jesus was sinless, right? He was perfectly righteous. He was flawless. He was pure. Not an ounce of sin in Jesus Christ. And it says that on the cross, what God did was God made Jesus to be sin for you. God made Jesus to be sin for me so that we, in Jesus, we would become the righteousness of God. Doesn't the top of your head just blow off? This is 
crazy. God had us change places. I should have died. You should have died physically and eternally. And Jesus died as our sacrifice instead. Jesus took all of my garbage on the cross. And then I was given all of his righteousness. That's not a fair trade, is it? But that's God's grace, and that's God's mercy, and that's the faith he's placed inside of me and in so many of you this morning. So now when God sees you and I, it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he sees. You can't get any more righteous than that. Stop trying. God's already done it if you've trusted in him as uh, Jesus Christ as your Savior. What more do you want? What more do you need? Those are rhetorical questions. What are we waiting for? Because of this fact, you and I have got so much more serving and ministry to do on God's behalf. And God has provided, he says here, with everything necessary for life and godliness. We don't even need to ask for anything else. We've already got it. We just need to use it. You know, back when the West was being settled here in America, the stagecoach was a common means of transportation. How many of you have ever been on a stagecoach? I haven't. No, nobody. I didn't think so. But some stagecoach companies offered three classes of tickets. Um, even though all the passengers traveled in the same compartment, there were three classes of ticket tickets. Do you know what the price difference was? According to the True West magazine, first-class passengers rode all the way. Second-class passengers had to get out and walk when it was a steep grade. It was too much on the horse. Third-class passengers not only had to get out and walk, they also had to help push the coach up the hills. So there's your three. And they did this while the second-class passengers walked behind them, and the first-class passengers sat inside. Do you see the connection with the church, that illustration? The church who Jesus Christ gave his life for and is his body. The ministry of the kingdom of God today has no first and second class passengers. There's no one with limited involvement or limited ability or responsibility. There is no one who has more resources in and of themselves to pay for the ride. We're all third-class riders, every one of us. We're all on a level faith plane. We've all got to get out. We've all got to chip in. We've all got to do our part because we're all righteous in Jesus Christ, and we're all empowered by God himself with a divine nature through what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. If a wagon wheel falls off or we come up against a big hill, or a virus threatens. There's a lot of work and a lot of service that has to be done. And our passenger status requires that we all roll up our sleeves and get involved, whatever it is. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2.10 so well. For we, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, for we are his what? His workmanship having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. Not think about them, not wish we had the strength and the power to do them, but 
to do them. So in light of these amazing truths that Peter started off his little letter with, you can see where this is going to get, this is a powerful letter. Amazing truths about who you and I have become, all because of God's gift through Jesus Christ. What does Peter direct you and I to do? Well, verses 5, 6, and 7. Look at this. Put this on. Try this one on. For this very reason, make every effort to add to this faith that I've just described so, so det- in a, such a detailed way, excellence. And to excellence, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. To self- you know, you've seen a lot of self-control in our world today. I'm not, sorry. Self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Hang in there. To perseverance, godliness in what you say and what you do. To godliness, brotherly affection. Not the brotherly affection of Cain and Abel, (laughs) but the brotherly affection of Jesus Christ. And to brotherly affection, unselfish love. Peter says, and this is what I want to focus on this morning, make every effort. Did you catch that? I want you to think about your life right now. What's going on? I want you to think about it as far as making effort. You you made an effort to get here today. Wonderful. Good for you. You're going to make an effort to go get lunch. Most of you. You'll make an effort at some kind of work tomorrow morning. Think through. What do you work hardest at? What is it? Where is your current effort being directed the most? And now consider your life today. Is that effort paying off? Is it paying off? Peter's talking about these these character qualities. Peter's talking about these these Christian virtues. It's, It's quite a list to master. Do you notice how they all build? you notice how they all built and increased and, and, and grew on each other as you and I, what? Make effort. Responsibility. All these character qualities. Look at them up here on the screen. All these character qualities. All these character qualities. All of them. There they are. No, no, the character qualities. There we go. Thank you. Yes, yes. Faith, excellence, knowledge. Look at them all. Take take a moment just to kind of let it sink in. These character qualities. They all have to do with who you and I are in Jesus Christ. It's what we read in the opening verses that that Peter hit us with in those opening verses. And Peter says that, that these character qualities, these are your main concern. And it's really important because they'll keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your pursuit of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. Which goes right back to verse 2 where Peter says, May grace and peace be lavished on you as you grow in the rich knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you have those traits back up, please. Yeah. Be honest. This is church, all right? You're not fooling anybody. God's watching. 
be honest, when you look at these traits, do you kind of go, okay, okay, maybe, maybe I've gone off track in maybe one of them. Just, just a little bit. You're a liar. <laughs> this particular character trait, or maybe three or four of them, are not as evident in me as they should be. Okay, I get it. And the Word of God has just brought me back to reality in my own life. Um, it's like when the GPS goes off and says, recalculating, we're going to get you back on the right road. As we are becoming a person of godly character, things are going to happen. You're going to see things happen. You're, you're going to start, we're going to start to produce the kind of fruit that God loves. We're not going to be ineffective in our understanding of what's going on in our, in our current world uh, around us, what, what, what's really going on and what the real problem is because we're going to be viewing it through this rich knowledge that only comes from God and it's the only perspective that really matters. So again, what are you pursuing? Where are your energies being expended? Has your character, these character traits we've been talking about, have they kind of gone on the back burner and they only come up every once in a while? It would appear to me that grace and peace in our daily lives is a really big deal in today's swirling, confusing world. And that God knows that this is a need that His creatures He created have. And God knows that godly character, all these traits, is what glorifies Him. And then grace and peace can increase, and that glorifies God. And isn't glorifying God always the primary goal for us anyway? But I don't know about you, but it's so easy. It's so easy to, to just try so hard to fix your own problems. It's kind of where we go right away to, to achieve, to accomplish our goals. So tempting to try to do it in your own strength and prove something. You know, our own plans, our own purposes, the way we think that it should all fit together in a nice, neat package that we have designed. And Peter reminds us to go back. Go back to becoming the man, the woman that you were called to be through the faith that God gave you through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and to make every effort you possibly can to do that. Maybe you've, you've been too focused uh, on what you want to do rather than on what God has called you to be. Now, that doesn't mean you, you don't work. It doesn't mean you don't go to school. It doesn't mean you don't raise your kids because part of having these virtues, as Peter has listed them, is not being lazy but having a really good work ethic. That's part of it. And, and while you are living, while you are parenting, working, schooling, loving your spouse, you're at the same time pursuing God praying in the Holy Spirit of God and making every effort to bring all your focus towards building these character traits in your life by the grace of God. And some people, I know, some people will always attend church with the hope that God will change their circumstances. 
that God would just fix my situation. Just fix it, God, please. You just fix it. It's why people show up to church from time to time. And sometimes you might not see them for a while. And then they come back to get something fixed. And the first thing I want to say is that God is more concerned with changing you than changing your circumstances. That's what this is all about, our character, not our circumstances. God values our character. It will be the reason, your character, my character, will be the reason that people will ask us of the hope and the resolve that we have. It will be the primary vehicle whereby while you are pushing a stagecoach up a hill with first-class passengers in it, they're going to want to know, why on earth would you ever do that? And you're going to tell them, it's because of Jesus. And you're going to give them a reason for the hope you have and for why you do what you do. You get to share God's answer. Verse 8, let's close with this. For if these things all the stuff that Peter has just laid on us, huge amount of stuff, rich stuff. For if these things are really yours, you see there's a a possession that's got to take place here in our head and in our heart. If these things are really yours and are continually increasing, not just laying stagnant, they will keep you. They will keep you from becoming ineffective. Do you feel ineffective? you from becoming unproductive. Do you feel unproductive in your faith? In your pursuit of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. God wants to see his children live. God wants to see his children be godly and live. God wants to see his children uh, lavished with, with grace and peace. And that only comes from knowing him. That only comes from becoming like him in your character as you pursue knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. But here's the important question for today. Do you want to change? Isn't that always the bottom line? You've got the information. You can see what God has done and is doing and wants to do. Do you want to change? Do you really want to be told to recalculate or do you like the path or at least you're going to continue on the path you have chosen? Is change into godly character a desire for your heart? Are you here this morning? Are you watching this service? And you're saying, okay, I'm not here, God because I want you to fix this or I want you to fix that. But I'm here saying, God, I'm here first to worship you before anything else. And I desire you to fix me. I want you to transform me. Isn't that why you place the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, into my life in the first place? Transformation. Peter uses that remarkable phrase, divine nature, about you and me. That I have been given this divine nature 
so that now I can live out a godly character for God's purposes. Without that, forget about it. Because his divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness. And because we've been given all this, the apostle Peter is saying, come on, church, take advantage of it. This is yours. This is your possession. And make every effort to add to your faith these character traits that God wants you to have. When you became a believer, when you, when you trusted, those of you who've, who've been born again, you, you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, look back, go back to that time when, you, when, when, you, when that light first came on. Did you become a believer because you didn't want to go to hell? <laughs> By the way, that's not a bad reason <laughs> initially. Uh, the awareness that this horrible yet just eternal destination for all humanity is supposed to get our attention, that reality. But what did God do in place of that? He offered you and I immortality, eternal life. And in the meantime, as we wait on his return or for him to take us home, we get to live this new eternal life focused way of living in this life here and now and this lifestyle we read in scripture glorifies him that's why we do it this trusting in his offer for eternal life through jesus christ causes us to say god i know i repented of my sin and i trusted you as my savior but now i see that i'm still tempted by sin and I want to repent, and I want to turn from all of this stuff, and I want to turn from all of this sin as I'm being exposed to it in my life, all this foolish vanity, and I want to live for you now. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit wells up in us, brothers and sisters? This desire for virtue, this desire for godly character, isn't this what we long for in our leaders? Isn't that what we look for in our families and desire for our kids? That's a huge, huge question Peter is going to delve into through the rest of this letter, Second Peter. And it's going to have everything to do with our perspective. Are we thinking in our mind right now, oh, I get to change? Or are we thinking, I have to change? This is a no-brainer. I have to change because I am a child of God. And this is what I am required and, and must obediently do. In other words, is this what we really desire for ourselves, our families, and our friends? Is this then how we must live? Rise with me and let us respond to these glorious truths that come to us through the Apostle Peter and that we're going to be looking at in more detail as we go through the weeks to come. And let's respond in worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we worship you. We worship you alone. There is no other. And Lord, we pray that as your faith wells up in us and grows in us this, these kind of character traits that your Apostle Peter has laid before us that, dear God, we are found faithful in pursuing them and making every effort to add these to our lives. And dear God, we do this. And we even sing these words to you because you are worthy.
You are worthy of our worship. You alone. In Jesus' name, amen.